pretty good, man. I could have stood a little more of that. What, did y'all give him some espresso or something? Oh, I forgot he's always like that. Always like that. What a blessing to be here, man. It is so good uh, to be able to be in church. Better enjoy it while you can. I can't tell you how long it'll last. Who would have thought just a couple of years ago that near about everything was shutting down and everybody was in a panic and everybody was certain that it was the end of the world and that uh, we were all done for. We're going to be wiped out with the plague that was nothing short of the 1917 flu. And uh, everybody was convinced. If you believed the mainstream media, you, without a question, believed that uh, only the strong were going to survive. And then all of a sudden they come up with some miracle cure and things are going to get better and then things seem to dissipate. And now they're actually even talking about you don't have to wear a mask all the time. And we're so glad we don't have to wear a mask anymore. We're not paying attention to anything anymore. It's like, can I still get sick? Oh, I don't, yeah, well, maybe. I don't know. But I don't have to wear a mask because it never really did a lot anyway, but it made you feel like a robber though, right? You know, it's kind of like you felt like you could hide behind that and especially if you had like a big zit on your face, you could adjust that mask and nobody would ever know that. That was kind of a neat thing and, and now it's Ukraine. I'm waiting to hear the preachers come up with how the Ukraine is somehow or another going to transposition itself into the mark of the beast. Because first the virus was the mark of the beast, then the vaccine was the mark of the beast, and they're preparing us for the mark of the beast because you're all having to wear a mask and all that. Can I say this about that? Try to this week maybe point you in the direction of something that I can guarantee you is an absolute, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I can guarantee you eternity is more real than what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't guarantee you tomorrow. I don't know if you're going to have a stroke tonight or a heart attack tonight or get hit by a bus or Jesus is going to come tonight. Wouldn't that be a great thing? But, uh, you know, well, preacher, I've got it all mapped out. and You're only trying to map that out and figure it out so that you can live wicked up to the last possible minute. And then you'll be the guy out on the expressway passing out tracks, you know, trying to get killed doing something for Jesus, you know. Lord, I was faithful unto the end, you know. Yeah, you last 15 minutes, you know, you were. I don't know when the Lord's coming, but I know He's coming. And I don't know if He's coming by rapture for you or death first, but I know one of those two things is going to occur. I guarantee you, everybody, in the sound of my voice, if the rapture doesn't occur, you're going to die. And then the question is going to be, then what? I don't know why it is that we spend our life doing something great which doesn't amount to anything in eternity. We literally expend our life completely, totally given over to what we want to pursue in the here and now. And by the time we come to the retirement years, we sit back on whatever we may have built up. And then we get ready and say, well, now I'll just go to church and read my Bible and pray. And then you die and you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord said, that's great. And I gave you 70 years or 80 years or 90 years or whatever it was. And uh, what did you do for me? Lord, you realize I own my own company and I was a multimillionaire and I, 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 I appreciate that. I understand that. Thank you very much. You're taking a lot of credit for yourself there. I believe I gave you the brain. I believe I put you in the right spot. I believe I made the right connections for you. I believe I made your investments grow in the bank. I could have as easily taken them away from you. 
So let's be careful about you did so-and-so. But what did you do with what I gave you? Well, Lord, uh, it's nice that you asked that. <laughs> you see, Christian, it's more to life than just uh, how am I going to get through trouble and trials and tribulations and difficulties and problems. It's what are we doing? I wonder at some point whether or not we as Christians are going to ever literally, for the night's message, if we're ever going to get out of the boat. I wonder if we're ever going to take a chance for something other than just ourselves. Have you ever recognized what we're willing to risk for the world? I've seen military people that pack up for six months or a nine-month tour in Vietnam or in other wars and things like that. They say goodbye to their family. They go with whatever the military provides for them. And they go over there knowing they may be a bullet stop. And I admire that. I, I, mean, I really do. I'm not making light of that in the, in the slightest bit. And they're over there and they're willing to lay down their life and their wives and their kids or maybe in their husband in certain cases are willing to say, if you don't make it back, boy, what a, what a way to go. And we all call those people heroes, and rightfully so. But why is it that nobody will take those kind of chances for Jesus Christ? Where are the Davids that would willing to be die, willing to die on the battlefield with Goliath and say, you know, is there not a cause? And he says, you know what? Rather than let that jackleg talk the way he's talking about the one who did something for me, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kill him. Amen. You'll never be able to kill him. Yeah, but what a way to die. <laughs> they'll be talking about me longer than they'll ever talk about Goliath, man, because I went out there just a shepherd boy with five rocks and a sling, and at least I went out there and I did something for him. Could you say that about you? Do you ever pause to think? You know, they, they call it a fine line between faith and stupidity in our day and time in which we live. The interesting thing is, is that we don't call it stupidity if you take a business and say, you know something, I'm going to invest $50,000 and I'm going to grow a business and I'm going to hope and pray that I make enough to, to be able to survive and to make enough to be able to make a living and I hope I become a millionaire or sell the business. We don't call that uh, uh, taking a risk. You know what we say? That's just ingenuity and making a calculated investment in order to turn it into something. Would you take the same 50000 throw it in the offering plate and say, Lord, you do with it whatever you want. I'll see you in eternity. Because you see, you can't see the benefit in the here and now. That's the hard thing. We're able to see the short look, but not the long look. You ever notice when people get older that the first thing that goes is their short-term memory? You think the Lord's trying to say something? Have you looked at the long run? Have you looked out at eternity? Have you looked at where you're going to spend the rest of eternity? It's a lot longer than 70 years. If you'd like to tonight, turn in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 14. If you could give me a little bit of time to, to sort of set this up. Very familiar passage. I try to, to preach familiar passages. I find oftentimes the deepest of truths, the most complex of things, are oftentimes hid in the simplest of stories. You know, I like the story of the prodigal son. And you say, well, why do you like that? Well, first of all, it's a literary classic. But second of all, I can find myself in the prodigal son. I, I like the story of David and Goliath, though I don't know that I would have the courage to go out and face a giant like that. But man, what, what, a, what a thing if you could just put yourself in there for a second and say, Lord, if you could give me the courage, I sure would like to be able to face that giant. Sometimes you know that giant can be in the form of cancer. Sometimes that giant can be in the form of divorce. 
Sometimes that giant can be in the form of bitterness. Sometimes that giant can be in the form of the loss of a child. I know a little girl back home, her giant came in the form of a little embryo to begin with and before long an infant began to grow and then before long out of wedlock a little child pops out and it's just a little bitty thing, about seven and a half pounds, but it's out of wedlock. Seven and a half pounds of baby can grow into a giant real fast. You have to have supernatural strength to overcome what everybody else is saying about you. Remember the story of David, even his own brothers are accusing him of things falsely. Oh, she had made a mistake. You know, I know the wages of sin. I understand that. I understand you reap what you sow. Could I ask you this question? I realize maybe I'm being a tad serious with you tonight, but after all these young'uns got up here and sang, men, did you notice the majority of who all sang tonight was all women? I mean, that's a blessing. I'm glad it was, it was the girls. I, I appreciate that. But I wonder about a, a, a quartet or a sextet or a quintet of men up here. Amen. I wonder where the men are. And why is it the women set the tone and only the, the men in the Bible stand out, but the women nowadays seem to be rising to the top. I guess the cream rises to the top and... I don't know, there's something about those women. They seem to be tough and they're able to do things that men, all they do is just sort of suck their thumb and pout a little bit. <laughs> Ladies, you could at least give me like a holy grunt or something there. Like <laughs> you could have at least, you know, like, woo, yes, sir, yeah, amen, you know, something. I mean, but you ever notice, have you ever paused to think about how slow we are to take risk when it comes to spiritual matters? You know what I think it is? I think it's a lack of belief, and I think it's a lack of faith. I think if you really believed eternity was real, that you'd be willing to risk in eternity what you're willing to risk in the here and now. If you're willing to take a chance now, why wouldn't you be willing to take a chance for eternity's sake? Well, here's a story. It's a classic story like the prodigal. The prodigal story has a fellow that he's in the father's house. He thinks it's a prison and he winds up taking out. I got to get out of this place. I got to break out. I got places to go and things to do and people to see. I'm sick and tired of being told what to do. I can't stand it. He is in the throes of rebellion and off he goes into the far country, which it sort of looks like the elder brother might have been the one planting the stories in him and putting the magazines under his mattress or something. I, I don't know, but I suspect that elder brother. The reason I suspect that elder brother is when that prodigal does come home and the father's happy about it. You know what that elder brother says? I'm going to get to this in just a second. You know what that elder brother says? He goes and he says to the servant, he says, yeah, he's been out there wasting his substance on riotous living in women. He never said that about the prodigal. He wasted his substance on riotous living. Why'd you add women to the story there? Because that's what the elder brother would have done if he'd have gone out. So he all of a sudden imprints on somebody else and makes that individual there. He is always upset. Here comes the, uh, the boy comes back. You know what I think he saw that younger brother as? I think he saw him as competition. And I think he figured I'm going to get rid of him. And when that kid comes back and the father's just glad to see him and there's no repercussions, he realizes he's got competition. You know what he does? He does like a lot of you will do this week. He stays right outside the door. He won't get all the way in. You say, why? He's comfortable right there. 
He likes it right there. There he is. See him right there? He's standing right outside the door. He ain't coming in here. You ain't got to worry. You can't talk him into coming in here. You can offer him, you know, pizza and parties and pool tables. You can offer him popcorn and movies. And you can have a contemporary worship service and all that kind of stuff. And you might draw him in if you bring some of the new uh, dancing girls for praise and worship hour. You might get him in here. He ain't coming in here for no preaching. He don't like to see somebody else pray. See, if you're not going to praise him, that's in the passage. I'm not preaching on the prodigal tonight. I'm just setting you up just to let you know what's coming. You know what he says in there? He says, all this time I've been here, you never even so much as killed a fatty calf for me or killed me a lamb or gave me nothing for me and my friends. Ever think you're hanging with the wrong friends, boy? Ever think if you'd have done the right thing, I might have done that for you? Do you ever pause to look at yourself and consider maybe there's something wrong with you? You see him out there? He's like you. He'll stay right outside there. Tonight, by the time the message is over, God willing, and the Lord helping me tonight through the Holy Spirit, you hopefully will get something out of the message. And you know what the Lord like to do to you tonight? He'll say, hey, why don't you come on inside? Why don't you come on inside? Why don't you come on inside? Why don't you come in here with me? Why don't you walk with me and talk with me and spend some time with me? Come on, let's get a little bit closer. Closer. You know what you say? I ain't going out there. I see who's up there. I ain't going up there. I'm not about to go up there. You're not going to coax me in there, pull some kind of a sham on me, a bait and switch, ask me to come up there and commit myself to a Jesus I can't even see. As your pastor said, oh, I can't even see him. He ain't nowhere around. Where is he if you can really see him? I want to put my fingers in his hands and then my hand in his side and, and all that. I just don't believe that there's a real thing. Okay, you know what will happen? You'll take your place outside with the older brother. You say, what's that? My churches are full of elder brothers. I'm glad you came. I'm not trying to run you. Some of you are visiting tonight and you're thinking, I came to hear this Jack Clegg and I wish I hadn't. Now I could be home <laughs> watching the news or something. <laughs> but I'm trying to be real with you. You say, why? Time is short. You don't have time to play games anymore. You're running out of time. I don't know how much longer we'll have gatherings like this. You say, what's going to happen? You could be scattered all out and things go haywire and the next thing you know, you're doing what you can to keep your family and your small churches and stuff to be able to keep them together and your communication be cut off among other people. You may get a phone call. You may get a telegram. You might get something along the way. But being able to travel and all that other kind of stuff, I mean, good night. Right now, $4 a gallon. You know how much jet fuel's gone up? I mean, two weeks ago, buying a plane ticket and buying one now, they have almost doubled in two weeks. You say, why? It costs a lot of money. Everything costs money. You probably don't care about it. Probably doesn't make any sense to you at all. I'm, again, I'm coming to this in a second. Y'all make me nervous. I'm, I'm trying to work off the nerves here. Uh, you, you, you don't pay attention to it much, but in the Bible, it starts off with a woman making a mistake there. She sins and she falls because of eating something. You don't go very far along the way there until all of a sudden you run into an issue where Joseph has got the keys to the corn crib and there's a famine in the land and the people are starving to death and there's food connected again and seven lean years and fat years and seven lean years and you're going to have problems with food and there's a famine in the land. Elijah comes along there. There's a drought. There's a famine in the land. There's a woman there starving to death. Must be some what we would call a saved woman. She's going to eat a, a biscuit and her son and her are going to die. They got no more food. There's food again. You don't go very far at all before you get into the book of Lamentations. And the food shortage is so bad that they're boiling and eating infants of about a span long. And that's about from the tip of the finger to the bend in your elbow. And that baby is hatched out, and as soon as that baby comes out, they slit that baby's throat and throw that baby in a boiling pot of water, and they eat the child. You say, you got to be kidding me. They eat the child. They eat the child. 
And then guess what happens? They go to the king and they're mad because now the other woman has had her baby and the other one says, we're not going to eat my child. And she goes and said, we said we'd eat mine, so we ate mine. Now why can't we eat hers? That's lamentations. Read it if you want to get good and nauseated one day. It's not of the living dead stuff. has nothing on the Bible. You come along there, by the time you get to Matthew chapter number 4, here goes the Lord. He goes out in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days, and the last three temptations come down. You know what the first one that gets mentioned there? The very first one of those three, you know what it is? He said, if thou be the Son of God, turn these stones into what? There's food again. You know what happens in the tribulation? A can of dug's dung, dove's dung. And that, doesn't that sound appetizing? Doesn't that sound wonderful? That's not something to cook with. That's dove's dung. You say, why? People are starving to eat and they're eating pigeon poop. That's not to be funny. That's, that's the, how bad the starvation. It's food. You say, why do you bring that up? Gasoline's going up. You folks up in this area of town, y'all are known for your grain, your soybeans, your corn, and that kind of thing. You had a bad year last year. You had too much rain. You couldn't get a stand of corn. You couldn't get a lot of wheat. Your wheat futures are way, way, way down as far as being able to put it in there. And the bread basket's not here. You may not know this. Ukraine was known for bread basket. Why do you think Hitler wanted it? That's all shut down now. Where's it going to come from? All the stuff that went on now, you had one of the biggest droughts out west that you've ever had. There's drought over there and too much rain over here. What does it boil down to? There ain't no bread, man. You mark my words. I'm not a prophet. I have no way of being a prophet except to tell you what comes from the Bible. You mark my words. You watch gasoline go up. You watch and see what happens to grain go up. You say, what'll happen? It's food, man. It's food. That thing comes down to eating food. You may not want to fast, but you might learn to fast before this thing's over and done with. <laughs> you worry about some kind of an obesity epidemic in the United States of America. You may not have to worry about it much longer. You say, why? You grocery store shelves are getting right. You're not, you're not seeing it yet. But could be that it'll go that way. What happens if it goes that way? I guess you made make sure your relationship with the Lord's where it ought to be. Aren't you glad you came tonight? <laughs> Here's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I'm starting to get a little more comfortable now, breaking out in a sweat up here. Look, if you will, just come all the way down to verse 22, Matthew chapter 14. You want to stand? You've been sitting a long time. Why don't we do that just real quick? Matthew chapter number 14, again, a familiar story. The Bible says in a straight way, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. And the ship was now tossed in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Brother Joe, you pray, would you, and ask the Lord to help us. myself included, Lord God, to just draw a little closer to you in these last days. 
Father, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would go out uh, in and out of every one of these pews here tonight. And Father, give us what we need on an individual basis, Lord. We thank you, Lord, again for this place. We pray that you bless this time now. Bless your preacher. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You'll notice in verses 1 to 13, there's a death of preaching. This is a setup for things. You can see how things are going to wind up going long term. In 14 to 21, you see a death in the land, sickness and starvation. In verses 22 to 24, the saints are in distress. And in verses 25 to 31, there's the deliverance of those saints and individuals getting help. That's a pattern that's laid out there in chapter number 14. I can't get to the storm that takes place until you notice in the first about 12 verses there, you notice what Jesus called the greatest preacher born of a woman, John the Baptist, is preaching while Jesus is preaching somewhere else. They're not preaching together. They're obviously close. They're more than cousins. I mean, John the Baptist sought so much of Jesus that he leapt in the womb and he hadn't even seen Jesus yet. John the Baptist, who was there when Jesus came after about 29 and a half years, he comes up there and as soon as he gets there, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, the taketh away the sin of the world. He said, Hey, John, how are you doing? He said, I'm fine. How are you, preacher? He said, I want you to baptize him. He said, I'm not even worthy to unlatch your shoes. I know who you are. And the Lord said to him, Go ahead and do what I've told you to do. And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and sends him off into the wilderness. And then they wind up parting ways to go about doing what God called each of them to do. Now, why is that important? Well, he's over here preaching, and he goes up there to Herod, you know what he tells him, and he says, you ought not to have your brother's wife. What a sermon topic. <laughs> that ain't a way to have, a, you know, influence friends and, you know, and all that kind of stuff and to be able to get a big congregation. What kind of a deal there? He goes out on the streets, and he calls Herod out there, and he says, you know better than do that. You're committing adultery, and your wife's a pig. She shouldn't be up there. You know, she's married to a brother, and, but second wasn't good enough for her. See, Herod's brother would have been next in charge if Herod had died, but she didn't like that, so she figured I'll move on up and play a little George Jefferson there, and I'll, I'll move on up to the upside. I, I'll just go, you know, do the wiggles and the bumps and the grinds, and I'll get Herod's attention. I know how to get his attention. And the next thing you know, he says, I'm the king, and I don't care about you, and, you know, I, I don't care if you're my brother. I'm taking your wife. And she moved in, and Herod's stupid enough to think she moved in because she thought he was all buffed out and all fixed up and all that kind of stuff. She moved in because she wanted the palace, man. You say, how do you know that, preacher? That isn't in the passage. Sure it is. She plans early when she's going to pimp her daughter out. Literally, that's what she's going to do here. When she's going to pimp her daughter out and tell her daughter how to get Herod's attention, you know what he says? He's going to ask you whatever you want, he'll give you. <laughs> Honey, don't you worry about asking for anything in the kingdom. Don't ask for a Rolls Royce or a Bentley or a BMW or nothing like that. I already got the keys to the kingdom, honey. I already own everything. <laughs> His name's on it, but it belongs to me. You say, how do you know that? Because she says to her daughter, he says, listen, when he asks you, when he gets all worked up and that kind of thing, I know how he works. I know how to do it. That's how I got the kingdom, baby. You just go in there and do what I tell you. And then I tell you what you're going to do. You're going to shut that big mouth preacher down there in jail. You see, what's he doing? You don't always have to be talking to be preaching. John ain't said nothing. He's in prison now. He's in prison for saying what needed to be said. But the mere fact that he's down there is speaking volumes. Do you know sometimes people don't need to hear a sermon, they need to see one? Wouldn't it be a blessing if the number one excuse to this day for people not coming to our churches is too many hypocrites in the church? Wouldn't it be a blessing if that excuse was taken out of their mouth? 
I'd like to slap that excuse out of a bunch of people's mouth. Too many hypocrites in the church. Well, come on, join us. There's plenty of room for another one. Amen. I mean, put it right back on them. Sure, there's hypocrites in the church, of which I'm chief. What else? No, come on in and join us. We have no problem with that whatsoever. So she gets up there and she gets all fired up and stuff. Can you imagine a mother doing that with a daughter? You might think that with a crackhead. You might think that with a prostitute or somebody that's a heroin addict. You might think that with somebody who has uh, the, the standards of an alley cat. But to bear, the idea of a mother telling a daughter in public of all things in front of all these men to get up there and do what got him so worked up that when she stopped, he said, uh, 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 don't, don't stop now. I mean, he is all out. Boy, I mean, he's just going crazy in public. Can you imagine how messed up that is and then all of a sudden he says listen I'll tell you what I'll do I'll give you whatever you want up to half of the kingdom and Herodias looks over there to her daughter and goes I told you and she goes man she thinks about it for just a second and I'm thinking man I could have half the kingdom and I could maybe upstage my mama and mama looks over there and grits her teeth and says I, I want the head of the preacher down there well do you even know the preacher no, but I don't want him to be down there. My mama knows him. My mama doesn't like him. My mama doesn't care for him. My mama's the one that's sinning, but I'm going to ask for his head because my mom's going to use me like a puppet. I'm sure none of you mamas ever do that with your kids, that you don't like the preacher or you don't like people in the church, and so you kind of whisper to your kids so that they kind of pick up the things they don't even know about people so they feel about people the same way you do. And they don't even know the people. Am I doing okay? Amen. <laughs> you all, all of a sudden went. <laughs> you look like a blinking frog in a hailstorm, man. You know. <laughs> Could you please move on? Move on. You know, nothing to see here. You know, move on. And so she asked for that. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? They come down there to John the Baptist and he's laying over there in the chains and stuff like that and thinking, oh, I wonder if he's the one, if he is the one, why am I in the prison cell? Why am I in the jail cell? Why am I getting hammered for doing right? You ever felt that way? You ever felt like every time you turn around, you try to do right and you feel like you're in prison, you can't seem to get out for nothing? Every time you turn around, the job doesn't work out, the family doesn't work out, the friends don't work out, there's a problem. Every time you turn around, you feel like you're just all chained to a wall. Well, that's how John felt. What was John doing wrong? He wasn't doing anything wrong. The misconception is, is that if I do right, I'm going to get re the right reward. Not here, you're not. You ever look at the Apostle Paul? I mean, I mean, beaten 40 uh, times, stripes saved one, and goes over there a day and a night in the deep and shipwrecked and uh, fastings and in prayer, nakedness and in peril and the care of all the churches and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and, and perils of this and perils of that. Good night, Paul. I thought you were saved. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Paul said, I am. Man, look at the marks I got. Well, wait a minute, Paul. I mean, I, I thought you were saved. supposed to get good. It is good because you can endure all this because my eternity is up there. My reward is up yonder. Stay with me now. John the Baptist goes over there and he says, Hey, how you doing, fellas? And he said, Fine, preacher, step on out here. And he looks at the guy over there in a black hood and he said, What, what are you doing here? And he said, uh, You know, uh, the king wants your head. And John the Baptist said, the king, my foot wants a head. You boys know. And he said, you know how it is, preacher. You know how it is. We, we know who wears the pants in the kingdom around here, preacher. And I'm sorry to say we got to do her bidding because you know how it can be. I mean, it can be rough. It better your head than mine, preacher. Amen. 
I'm sure none of you women are in the household like that. I'm sure you're a Titus 2 woman. You know, to obey your husband so the word of God be not blasphemed. You surely have enough faith to do what God says, right? I mean, you're a Bible believer, right? But preacher, if you knew my husband the way I know my husband, you picked him, sister. You a Titus 2 woman, are you? Or are you always trying to wrestle the authority away from your husband? I thought you believed the Lord. Well, shall we move on? <laughs> I thought you said this is positive. Yeah, but you've got to have negative before positive in order to get the charge, you see. <laughs> I'm going to shock you in a little bit. <laughs> or try anyway. You've got to have both ends of the battery cable. You know what happens? He goes down there and John the Baptist said, well, okay, man, it's all right with me. So he goes out there. He said, now, preacher, we're going to have to tie you down. He said, no, you ain't got to worry about me, man. I've been ready for this day since I met Jesus in the womb. What? Never mind. You wouldn't even understand, man. And he lays down on that thing and takes one big deep breath. And just like he's getting ready to go to sleep after a long day. And boy, that uh, axe comes down on his head, on his neck. And that head rolls off into that basket. And they grab that old nasty, bloody thing. If you've ever seen that app before, it's, it's nasty. That heart keeps pumping. And those juggler veins are going. And those things are continuing. To, I mean, it sprays everywhere. It is nasty. That blood's going all over the creation and stuff like that. He picks that old wet, dripping thing up there and sets it on a charger like that in disgust and walks in there. And, you know, I think he's kind of like, here's the preacher. Are you happy now? To a little kid, to a young girl. Boy, what a bloodlust, man. And now Herodias is happy. I don't know. We don't read nothing about her. There's more to the story, though. They come and they get the body of uh, John the Baptist and they get his head and they go over there and bury it. And his disciples come to the Lord and say, hey, John the Baptist got his head cut off. And the Lord said, I guess I better stop what I'm doing and go over there and I better tend to the family. I better comfort the people and I, I better go pick up everybody else that's around and everybody else that's left and I better cart them around town. I mean, after all, what would they think of me as a Savior if I didn't go over there and, and show empathy for them and, and all that other kind of stuff? The Lord said, okay, uh, I need to get in a boat now and I need to head over there. There's some people that are having some real problems. Do you realize if the Lord had stopped what He was doing, there's 5,000 just men that wouldn't have been fed? Not counting the women and children. If he'd have stopped to go check on a dead man. You say, that sounds harsh. Well, I don't know. Does it sound harsh? Luke chapter number 9, would you follow me? Yes, Lord, I want to follow you. You sure you want to follow me? Sure, I want to follow you. Well, come on, man, let's go. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You're going to be camping out under the stars, baby. Let's go. Wait, whoa, you mean I'm not going to have real estate holdings? You mean I'm not going to have a house? You're not going to have a home base? I'm not going to have a motor home? I'm not going to have a... Uh, 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 I'm, I'm not going to have all the comforts of life. No, you're not. Uh, Lord, you know, on second thought, I, I think I'll stay here. I, I, now listen, after I finish my career and finish my college and, and I get married and have a couple of kids and they get grown up and they get married and, and I get my retirement and I live in my little shack up on the mountaintop and I'll do something for you then, Lord. The Lord's already gone and even listening to him talking. Second boy comes up there, Lord, I'll follow you. He said, okay, good, come on, let's go. He said, but first let me go back and bury my father. See, I told you we were starting on whether or not you'd be willing to do something for the Lord. But I forgot to tell you, it might cost you more than you want to pay. Because the test is a cross. 
Same thing the Lord did. You know what I like about the Lord? What I like about the Lord is He goes to Gethsemane. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He got up and He set His face like a flint. And for the joy before Him, He endured the cross. He made His mind up He was going to do it. He never looked back. He burned the ships. He said, I ain't going back. I ain't got no plan B. I'm going to do what I was told to do and die trying. Boy, what a way to go. <laughs> ain't that a blessing, man? You know what he does? He comes up there and he says, hey, boys, he said, I got I to gotta go. And he said, well, let me go bury my father. And the Lord said, I'll see you later. Said the same thing about his friends. You say, what's he doing? Same thing here. He said, well, he knows where he is. He said, well, he's happy now. <laughs> you say, what? That's not in the passage. But look at him. He just walks off. You know what he does? He gets in a boat. He goes over to the other side. There's all these people that are hungry and stuff. And they sit down there and he gets them all laid out and so on and so forth. And he takes five barley loaves and two fishes. And he feeds 5,000 men and not counting the women and children. I don't know what's a big crowd, however many it will wound up being. That's a large crowd of people. And he break off the tail end of a fish there and hand it to somebody. Tail end go back on the thing. Break off a little bit of bread. Bread come back and that kind of a deal. Some of you would like to have that, wouldn't you? Break off the bread and it never run dry and all that kind of stuff. And always be fresh. Five barley loaves and two fishes. To the point they give everybody all that they could possibly eat and take up 12 baskets in the end. I mean, leftovers, man. And trust me, there ain't nothing better than leftovers if the meal was good to begin with. The problem with leftovers is all leftovers aren't good because the meal wasn't good to start with. <laughs> you want leftovers of what? That's the question to ask. <laughs> well, then you find yourself in the passage where we are right now. And all of a sudden right now, I want you to notice this. He's going to make you a point. Uh, that would you agree with me in verse number 22? Would you agree with me in verse number 24 that the Lord is the one that put them in the boat? Would you agree with me that the Lord is the one that put them in the boat? This is going to be important later on. They didn't go choose the boat. The Lord said, get in that boat and I want you to go to the other side. Right? You can't hardly find in the Bible any more persons or people in the will of God than these disciples doing exactly what God told them to do. And they take off. And if you listen, you can hear the oar slap in the water. It's the evening time now and things are beginning to, to settle down and it seems like it's just still out there and Pete's sitting there, probably the helmsman. He's probably leaning on the rudder back there and has done it many times before. Maybe has his feet propped up there on the back bench of that boat and he's just looking out there, boy, he's singing, sailing, sailing, sailing the ocean blue and boy, he's having a time. He's probably telling all kinds of stories and fishing stories and storm stories and all kinds of other things they've been in and that kind of a deal. And the Bible said that when they got midway, right in the middle... In the midst. They're as far from where they came from as where they're going. Literally right in the middle. Nothing had happened to them. There's not a whisper of wind, a roll of thunder. There's not any lightning. Nothing indicates that there's anything going on. It looks like smooth sailing. In the passage, it looks like the storm literally comes from nowhere. And they're in the perfect will of God. Can I say this to you to try to encourage you? Just because you're in the will of God does not mean that you will not be in storms. Some of you are in storms tonight. Some of you got stuff going on. You did everything you could just to get here and now you're doing everything to stay awake in a boring sermon. And so you, you're going through tribulation and stuff like that. And I understand that. 
But it doesn't mean that all storms mean that you're being chastised. Sometimes the Lord has a purpose in the storm, and the purpose here you're going to see in a minute is because you're going to learn some things in the storm that you didn't already know. I remember seeing a painting a long time ago. I wish I'd have taken a picture of it. I saw a picture in a book of it. And what it is, is it's these, uh, uh, these uh, cows that are on this big ferry boat. And the sky is just as black as it can possibly be and lightning bolts all through there. And the water, you can see it, almost feel it. Almost the painting would feel wet. It looks like the water is just crashing over the sides of that. And the cow's eyes are wild-eyed and stuff like that and, and so on and so forth. You know what the caption at the bottom of that picture was, that painting? Changing pastures. <laughs> that was the caption of the picture. I mean, I'm looking at it thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not a cow, man. I mean, I don't know if cows can swim or not, but I'm thinking, man, this is bad. I mean, there goes all that beef down the river. What are you going to do about that, man? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm but, but changing pastures. You see, sometimes you're going through a storm and all the Lord's doing is taking you from one pasture to another because He knows this pasture's eaten out enough. You need to go to another pasture. Are they in the will of God? I believe they are. They're doing what God says to do. And all of a sudden, man, out of nowhere, there is a crack of lightning out of a Carolina blue sky. And Pete sits up and says, boys, what in the world was that? And John said, I don't know, man. And the wind begins to pick up a little bit and sort of begins to get sucked up into those clouds. And all of a sudden, the clouds begin to build. And the last little bit of the sun begins to go away. And now all of a sudden, the stars are occluded and you can't see them. And the moon's eclipsed by the clouds and the wind starts going and the little chop at first and they're still rowing. And then all of a sudden, more than a little chop, the next thing you know, the waves start to break over the bow and Pete's like, okay, boys, batten down the hatches. It's going to be a little blow now, but we've been making pretty good time now. And, and uh, Pete, we can't even see where we're headed to now. Well, all I know is, is the winds were contrary. All I know is, is the Lord told us to go there and the wind has switched around and now the wind is blowing directly against us. So if we just keep growing into that wind, at least I know we're going in the right direction. Here's point number one of the sermon. <laughs> Most people, when the wind is contrary, the first thing they do is turn around and go with the wind. Most people, as soon as they have opposition for doing right, they turn around and go with whatever's popular. Most people, when they have convictions about something and then all of a sudden there is this contrast, there's this individual that comes in and puts pressure on them. Usually what they say is they put their words in the boat and go, well, you know, it's just a little too hard. It's too tough. And maybe God really didn't want us to go to the other side. Maybe he made a mistake when he said to go there. Maybe he really didn't understand. I mean, he surely didn't think that we would be able to do it in a storm. When we set out, everything was fine. Can I remind you of this? The Lord is in the mountain apart praying. He's by Himself. He's looking at them. He's not with them. He's just watching them. He's up there saying, hey, Lord, look at them down there now. Boy, I sure hope you'll be with them. Pray you give them strength. I know how Pete can be now. He's going to be yelling at him here before long and help him to hold his mouth now and not be cussing and screaming at him like he was going to do at me at the fire later on. Father, what? Well, I mean, you know what I mean. 
I mean, in the, in, as God, not a man. I didn't know that as a man, but I knew that as God. But anyway, you know, you know how the Lord, and, and Lord, you know, help them little ones, and they're timid and scared, and Thomas is going to be doubting they're ever going to get to the other side, and Matthew's thinking, man, is this going to be a tax write-off when we get to the other side of this thing? I, I don't know, and I'm not really sure what's going to take place here, you know, and Judas is trying to find a place to hide and trying to figure out a way to get out of this, you know how he can be, and that kind of thing, and he's up there praying, and then all of a sudden he sees that lightning light up, and he sees the terror in their faces, and he says, well, boy, look at that. Ain't that a blessing? And the father says, what do you mean, ain't that a blessing? He says, look at them. They're still rowing, even though the winds and the waves are contrary. Amen. They're still trying. Amen. They make four or five strokes, and, and they get blown back, and they make four or five strokes, and they, and they get blown back, and they make four. They ain't making no headway. But they ain't quit rowing. Amen. Point number two, Amen. don't quit rowing in the storm. Amen. Don't just throw your oars in the boat. Just keep doing what the Lord tells you to do. You say, why? Boy, it would be a blessing to go out trying. I mean, what a blessing to go out. At least you're putting some effort in it. I mean, it's worth it. I'm telling you right now, it's worth it. You can whip me up there when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. If you could turn around and say to me, you said it was worth it. It ain't worth it. You get up there, you know what it's going to be. It's like, man, I wish I'd have done more of that. I'm talking risky behavior. People are risky. You ever notice that? They take chances when it comes to sin. They take chances to steal something. They take chances to rob something. They take chances to commit adultery and fornication. They take chances with drugs. And they take chances with drinking. And they take chances to do all kinds of different things. They take chances run 100 miles an hour on the freeway. And they take chances with this and take chances with that. When's the last time you took a chance for Jesus? Amen. I mean, just did something stupid, you know. I mean, I, I know that sounds crazy. I'm not talking about, you know, passing out tracks on the expressway. Not quite that stupid. But when was the last time that the Lord gave you some direction? You said, you know what? I'm going to do it. You made a fool of yourself for everything else. Why can't you do that? I don't understand that. Must be it's not worth nothing to you, I guess. I don't know. Why else? You have to explain it. I don't. I can't explain it. I see the communists. I watched them come through when I was a younger man. I watched everybody in the world was scared to death of a communist and teaching communist theology. I watched them give everything they had to the cause. And you can't take this away from them. At least they believed in their cause and were willing to sacrifice everything they had for something that I guarantee you would not work. When was the last time you saw a Christian do that? I see it in Jesus. I see it in the apostles. I don't see it in many Christians nowadays. Nowadays, it's going you know, to get out the calculator and look, I'm going to go to Bible school. I, uh, I'm not going to be able to go to Bible school. Lord call you to go to Bible school? Well, yeah, He did, but see, it doesn't mathematically work out. You know what's an amazing thing to me? I had a missionary call me a few weeks ago. It was a meeting down in Texas, and I was down there, and he called me while I was down there. And he said, hey, preacher, I need to ask you a question. I, he's real jacked up, you know. And I said, okay, well, fire, man. He said, I, I mean, it's just between me and you. And I said, okay, brother, what you got? He goes, now, don't, you can't tell him anything. I said, all right, brother, no problem. If you don't want to ask me, don't ask me. He goes, no, here's what I want to know. He goes, you know, I've been called to go to such and such a place. And I said, okay. And he said, uh, you, you know, I have to have a vaccine to go there. I said, okay. 
and he said, uh, I got some real problems with that thing. You know, it's got graphene oxide in it and all this. I said, uh, okay. And he goes, you know, and you can die or you can have a stroke or you can get all kind of problems and get coronary trouble and lung trouble and you can get blood clots. I mean, he went like a litany of things like stuff. And I'm like, yeah, brother, I thought you were a missionary. I didn't know you were a doctor, you know, and, you know, you know, you get pericarditis and you can get this and you can do that. You know, I'm thinking, I said, brother, okay, you know, and he said, uh, oh, I said, is there a question in here? Do you just call to inform me? And he goes, well, here's my question. He goes, I, I really know I'm called to go there, but I, I really, I, I'm really convicted about whether I should take the, the vaccine or not. Should I take the vaccine? I said, are you called to go to such and such a country? And he said, yes, sir. I said, do they require that to get in to where you're called? He said, yes, sir. I said, okay. He goes, but, but should I take it? I said, are you called to go to such and such a country? <laughs> I never tell him to take it. I just said, listen, if God called you, but what if I take it and I die? Oh, you go out with your hair on fire. <laughs> How cool would that be? Man, I'm on a plane. I get a blood clot. I have thrombosis, you know, and I have a heart attack. I kick the bucket. I'm flopping around, foam coming out of my mouth and all that kind of stuff and thinking, thank the Lord I died doing something right. See, there's the difference. I Listen, they said to me, well, what would happen if they tell you you couldn't go anywhere unless you got a card or a, or a passport? You know, that's the mark of the beast. I said, I guess I'd have to trust the Lord if he told me to go. I think it's what I'm supposed to be doing. And he goes, yeah, but I'm not going to stay in my cotton-picking house with the windows and the doors locked, with people going to hell and Christians needing encouragement because I'm going to protect myself. How Christian is that? That's not even in the Bible anywhere. Where did we come up with this idea that we're supposed to cower in our room and be worried? Why not go out if that's how the Lord sees fit to take us out, whether or not it's with the virus or with the vax or not? Why not go out doing what he said to do? Amen. His life got shut, cut short at 33 and a half. I don't care. Please don't misunderstand whether you do or don't, but why would you split a church over your personal views on something? It's not your job to tell somebody they should or shouldn't. It's between them and Jesus. Amen. Well, I just believe, you know, preacher, that thing over, that's a mark of the beast, you know. Not Hey, shut up, you coward. I'll be gone in a couple days. We're going to end this thing with a beautiful wedding. We're going out on a happy note. But I'm wore out with this. Well, well, what do we do? Stay in your room. We see you should move to Florida. Let me tell you why. In Florida, we have smart virus. No, we do. Some of you came down for Jubilee. You know it's true. You wear a mask into the restaurant. Soon as you sit down at the table, the virus is trained not to go past the edge of the table. 
No, it won't jump on you. Now, if you get up to go to the bathroom, you got to put your mask on because yours might jump across theirs, but yours can't jump from the table onto somebody else. Move to Florida. There's the answer to your problem. Then you don't have to worry. It won't get on you. Can I ask you a question? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Okay, we all got to go sometime. You sound, you sound so fatalistic. I, I, I really, look, somebody just said to me this the other day. I'm coming to this in a second. I hope I'm not boring you to death, but I, I'm liking the look on some of your faces. You look so constipated, it ain't even funny. It's like some of you, you don't know, like, is that gas? I think it's gas. I, I, I don't really, uh, I'm just not, uh, this is, this is kind of painful. Yeah, you know, really, it's okay. Really, don't, don't worry. But, 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 have you ever paused to just think for a second? Here's what this guy said to me. He goes, you know, our ex got nukes now. I said, okay. He goes, so now we have a double threat. I said, why? He goes, Russia and Iraq. I said, okay. He goes, well, what if they send a nuke? And I said, can you say pink mist? I said, bro, you won't ever see it coming. And I said, in the second you do, you're going to be gone. I said, but would you rather go that way? Or would you rather go at 70 years old, twisted up like a pretzel, hardly being able to breathe in a hospital bed and people poking you and prodding you and going to the bathroom on yourself? And it takes you four months to go. I, I'm like, I'll be a pink mist. Uh, I'd, rather, I'd rather go in a pink mist like, woo, here it comes, baby. <laughs> you say, preacher, that just, you just, you sound crazy. <laughs> what do you think they thought of Paul? <laughs> he didn't say, I have but one life to live for my country, you know. <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> Paul's like, I'm now ready to be offered. You are stinking suicidal, buddy. I'm not ready to be over. My course is finished. My race is done run and I done fought a good fight. Let me get out of here. Christians nowadays, preserve me. Preserve me. We could put you in a jar and put you up on the, let you collect dust sitting up on the countertop. I got to hurry. I got to, I, I, that's just the introduction. I got to hurry. Some of you are visiting like, is he serious? And, some of you other ones are like, yeah, he probably is. <laughs> Notice what happens. Jesus hears their cry and sees in trouble. You know what he does? He starts walking. Ugh. Don't you hate when Jesus walks? Don't you know when you're in trouble you want him to run? There ain't no verse in the Bible where Jesus ever ran. I'd be happy if he just flew. But it's always like you're in distress and the Lord's like. And, and he's always for interruptions. You ever notice that? I mean, the Lord's walking there with Jairus all of a sudden and a woman with an issue comes up. Imagine that. A woman with an issue. I mean, can't, I can't imagine that. That's like really like, really? There's a nugget in the King James Bible, a woman with an issue. Imagine that. And my wife's actually with me tonight. Thank the Lord. By the way, thanks for praying. I really am glad that she is with me. But here's this woman with an issue. 
And he's trying to get to a little girl that's dying. That's pretty major. And he's walking. And he's stopping for interruptions. Here's a woman with an issue. Jarius, I know you got a problem. Bad deal, your daughter dying and all, but this woman's got an issue. Got to take a little station break. The Lord's walking. They are in the storm of their life. The storm of the century. The perfect storm is happening. And they are out there rowing. And they're running out of juice. And they're getting tired. And they're getting worn out. And they are fixing to be so expended that when they go, they're going to drown. And he's walking. Because he just doesn't ever seem to be in a hurry. People are saying, when do you think the rapture is? I don't know. He's walking. When's he going to appear? When he gets here, he don't seem to be in a hurry. He's kind of like, I see y'all. You're in real distress. I'm coming. I'm hoping there ain't no women having issues on the way up coming down. Because I know he'll stop for them. Won't he? Hadn't he stopped and turned aside for you every now and then? Even though he was on the way to do something else really important. But hasn't he always taken time for you when you needed him to? He's just like that, you know. And they're walking. Mark 6 says, and he would have passed them by. Lord, you're walking in the same storm we're in. And you mean it's not about us? He said, no, I'm... That's a bad storm, man. <laughs> Peter, you look plumb shot out, boy. <laughs> he said he would have passed them by. But they cried out. Amen. For fear. Did you know it's okay to be scared? I've seen the strongest of men scared, slapped to death and brought to their knees when they find out their loved one is dying of cancer or their child has been taken from them in death. And they're scared. And the apostles are scared. They just saw the miracles. And they're scared. They're so scared that when they see the Lord, they don't even recognize. You know what happens? When you're afraid, it tends to weave a veil in front of you. You can't clearly see things as they really are. It appears like an apparition. It appears like maybe a ghost or something. There's something that's there that's like, I don't know. I think that's the Grim Reaper. We're going to die. We're all going to die. It's the virus walking on the sea. We're going to die. I can't see. I'm scared. Being scared obscures your vision and it gives you the wrong perception. You can't see things as they really are. Nonetheless, you know what they did? They cried out. And the Lord said, oh, hey, fellas. See, he knew they were there. But he wanted them to know you're past your own ability to do anything. And you need supernatural help. Yes. 
some of you are there tonight. Amen. You're still trying to row. You're trying to fix it yourself. And God bless you for trying, but it's about to snap you like a twig in a winter storm. Amen. Like that ice you had here a few weeks ago. About a half inch thick before the snow came. And all of a sudden that ice gets heavy on those wires that are up there and those wires lose their ability to be able to bend and then it gets heavy and it's something like 50 pounds per foot every inch or every half inch lays on that wire and then before long those wires snap like twigs like we do sometimes under pressure. We can't take it anymore. Snap. And the Lord, hey boys, don't be afraid. It's, it's me. I like this. Peter, now, don't go into making fun of Peter. Because Peter says something unusual. He's going to try the spirits. Let's make him spiritual for a minute. You know what he said? If it's you, paraphrasing, Bid me to come unto thee, he said, on the water. It's in the passage. Not levitate me. Let me walk on the water. I've tried that. You have too. Don't tell me you haven't. I filled up the bathtub with a few inches of water. My wife said, what are you doing? I was rolling up my britches leg. She said, she, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to walk on water. She said, you're an idiot. <laughs> I said, Peter did it. She said, nobody else did. I said, you have not because you asked not. <laughs> Lord, let me walk on water. You say, what happened? I sunk. <laughs> I was glad I was in the bathtub. I'd have drowned it. <laughs> Somebody else is like, I, I did that too. <laughs> You know what the Lord says? Oh, Peter, you fool. You idiot. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, Lord, can you calm the storm and then bid me to come to you? He said, Lord, bid me to come to you. You know what the Lord doesn't do? He doesn't calm the storm before Peter gets out of the boat. He said, come on. Peter's like, Oh, called my bluff. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Me and my big mouth. If I could paint, I'd have Peter getting out of that boat. Big waves are flashing over the top of that thing. I'd have the other apostles looking at him going, You're a fool. At least we're still floating, Peter. You're, you're crazy. He's got one leg over the gunnel of that boat. and He's getting ready and he's looking at the Lord. He's getting ready to take his foot out. He's struggling, boy. He's getting ready to get that leg over there like that. And he says, Lord, could you come a little closer so that I can hold on to the boat and still get you? Most people, first of all, won't even get out of the boat. They just want a better seat on the boat. Or they want a whole nother boat. Peter's getting out. I'm, I'm just saying, maybe I'm putting myself in the story. I'm thinking, okay, this is floating. 
might be a pine straw floating, but at least it's floating and I'm fixing to be sinking. You know what the hardest thing is? It's not just getting out, it's letting go. It's not just getting out. It's letting go of what you're holding on to. You know how that bitterness can be? I want to come to Jesus, but I can't let go of that boat. You know, that fear and that insecurity, that lack of faith. I want to come to Jesus, but I can't, I can't let that go. I can't let go of my, my finances, my future. I can't, whew, I can't go to Bible school. I can't go to mission field. I can't be called a preacher. I'm too old. I can't, I can't, I, 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 Lord, I'd like to, but if you'll come over here closer and let me hold on to you and hold on to it, I, I'll be. Well, lest I belabor the point, Pete turns loose. And he starts toward the Lord. Peter wasn't now acting like he was really something. The Bible said he began to pay attention. Listen carefully, I'm almost done. To his situation, to his circumstances, to his environment. He started watching the waves instead of watching Jesus. And the second he heard the girl sing it tonight, the second he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And now he's going down. It's funny how often when you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus, the Lord lets you sink. But the purpose of you sinking is to make sure you get your eyes on your only hope. And now instead of walking on his trouble, he's sinking under the weight of his trouble. The wind, the waves, the thunder, and the lightning. The fear has just assuaged, overwhelmed him. And he's drowning. The picture is he's drowning in what he's always been afraid of. The storm that was going to take him down. And when that storm comes in, He's thinking, man, this is bad. And what does he do? He looks back up through those waves, through that water. He has just enough time before he goes completely under to say, Lord, save me. And the Bible said, and the Lord stretched out his hand. Not both hands, with the Lord one hand will do. <laughs> he reaches down there and Peter reaches up and grabs that hand. And the Lord said, how are you doing? Peter said, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Said, Relax, Peter. Yes, sir, I just, I don't even want to blink. I don't even want to take my eyes off of you for a second. Well, Peter just kind of enjoyed the storm. No, sir, I, I, I've been too consumed with the storm. I've been too worried about the trouble. I've been too, I, I didn't realize that the focus is you the whole time. I, if I could just learn this lesson. Lord, I just want to keep you there. The Bible doesn't say how long they walked on the water. I think they disappeared a while. Walked on some waves. The Lord probably pointed out a hammerhead. And there's a great white. They'll make a movie about him one day. <laughs> I've already written the script. Dun and dun and dun and dun and. Peter's like, man, that's scary music. The Lord's like, okay, enough of that, you know. 
He was like, I'll never take a bath again. <laughs> and the Bible says, when they got on the ship, the seas were calm. And the ones in the ship said, that's the guy. He's the Messiah. That's, see, Peter's storm gave other people confirmation of who was the Messiah. Because oftentimes our storms are not for us, they're for the benefit of other people. And sometimes God will trust you with a storm because He's trying to get someone else's attention. We're fixing to land the plane now. At the end of that passage, you know what happens? The Bible says that when they landed on the other shore that they had heard about what had happened. You read the parallel passage, you know what happened? They heard about the storm and the one that calmed the storm. And so because the apostles had been in the storm, they wanted to see the one that calmed the storm. So them being there caused other people to come to see the one that got them out of the storm. Well, Jesus goes to Calvary. Died, buried, resurrected. Forty days here, goes up and ascends. They picked the other apostles in Acts chapter 1 or Matthias to replace Judas's place. And Pete gets ready to go about his business. And he's preaching. And him and John are walking together, going up to the temple. There's an old crippled man laying there in his own waist. Nasty. Filthy. He sees Peter and John and he figures, these girls look like they're doing okay. Maybe I can get something off of them. I don't know what Peter and John were talking about, but the fellow says, uh, hey, can you help me out, preacher? Sir, can you do something for me? Alms for the poor, can you do something for me? You know what Peter says? Peter says to them, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. You know what he did? The Bible said he reached out his right hand. John's like, hey, Pete, you want me to help me? He goes, now nah, you don't know the master touch like I do, John. I know you know about laying on his breast. I know what it's like when he reaches down. Because you know something, John? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me now safe am I you know what he did he said hey you know what that hand right there do you know where that hand's been that hand was sinking and Jesus reached down and you know what he didn't give me he didn't give me wealth he didn't give me fame he didn't give me fortune he didn't give me a reputation you know what he did he just reached down and helped me As soon as that hand touches that lame man, that lame man comes in, the Bible says, and his ankle bones were straightened and strengthened. And all of a sudden, you know what? He's leaping and praising the Lord. And John looks up and he probably says, Thank you, Lord. I sure do appreciate that. Boy, I sure do appreciate boy, boy, Lord, you sure have been good to me. John said, What are you saying? He said, You know, I was just thinking about, oh, walking on the water. <laughs> no, John, I wasn't thinking about walking on the water. You know, I joke about that a lot of times. Peter never did talk about walking on the water ever again. But he sure did help a lot of people with the same hand that helped him. 
You know what the secret to Peter's life was? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Some of you are sinking tonight, aren't you? You're going under, aren't you? Peter's the big fisherman. He's one of the main apostles. He had trouble. And he needed help. Elijah, probably the greatest preacher in the Old Testament. Multitudes of miracles. Picked up by her fiery chariot. Carried home to heaven. Be a preacher in the tribulation. He had trouble under a juniper tree. He needed supernatural intervention. You know what you need if you're going to get anything out of today and this week? You need to admit you're drowning. And you're consumed with the waves and Fox and CNN and finances and bills and problems and difficulties and sometimes just the bitterness and the anger and the wanting to control things and, and what about and what if and, and I just don't know and, and life is just this ball of confusion and you're drowning. And the secret is to surrender. I know that's weird. When you grab somebody that's drowning, it's an unusual thing. Because they're drowning and you would think that they would be really glad that you're there to help them. What you better be saying the whole time is, is I'm coming to help you, don't drown us both. But they get auditory exclusion. And as soon as they see you floating and them drowning, they will grab you and try to crawl on top of you and they will drown you. Because drowning people become desperate. And they're willing to grab anything to stay around a little bit longer. But you can't drown Jesus. His head's above the water. Amen. So you know what you have to say? Lord, save me. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven when I die. But man, I am. I am going under, Lord. I can't do it no more. I don't think you'd be here on a Monday night. If you weren't having trouble and struggling. You say, what's the key? Surrender. You say, what? Lord, help me. You say, what do they do? He'll stop whatever he's doing. He'll make everybody in this room feel like they're the only one in this room. If you're willing to say, don't, don't, don't pass me by. I used to like to hear the black folks sing, pass me not. Oh, gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others... Thou art calling. Do not pass me by. And then they go into Savior, Savior. He can be your Savior tonight. You know what you have to do? Help me. You just have to admit you can't do it yourself. <laughs> I know, it's just, it sounds so simple, but it's so hard, isn't it? It's difficult, isn't it? It just seems like the way to win is to keep fighting. It's not. 
is to tap out, as a friend of mine would say. It's to go, too much for me. I need somebody to interview, intervene. Heavenly Father, I pray you might consider helping us tonight. If there was ever a time in this generation that we need help, it's now. Lord, these kids are struggling. Their parents are struggling. Their grandparents are struggling. The world is struggling. Our churches are struggling. Lord, help us to be smart enough to recognize when we're whipped and to let you take over the fight. Help us to have the courage of David and be willing to die on the battlefield fighting the right cause as long as you're with us. And pray, God, that you might not just bless tonight, but this week. Bless these folks that have come tonight. Please give them something from heaven that will help them and sustain them and allow them to walk on their trouble and not drown in it. And pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.